You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Episode 77, The Paradox and Amash Files, special Patreon release. Welcome to The Paradox with your attending, Dr. Eric Larson. He is a practicing anesthesiologist and clinical assistant professor at Michigan State University College of Human Medicine. Listen in as he takes you behind the scenes of what practicing medicine in today's ever-changing world is like with another doctor. The Paradox is a fun and accidentally informative show for physicians, patients, or anyone who has ever found themselves in a waiting room. Welcome to The Paradox. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Larson. Thank you for joining me as we explore the U.S. medical system and find it... Oh, wait. This is totally different. This is actually not going to be about the U.S. medical system. Because today's release is from my Patreon subscribers, but I'm going to release it to the public so you have an idea of what we're talking about on the Patreon site. It's actually not usually medical. Occasionally it is. So I appreciate the support from the patrons who want to hear more medical content. But as far as extra content, I also want to just deliver something a little unique. And so... As is probably obvious throughout a number of the episodes, I'm very interested in politics. People who know me personally know that I'm very interested in politics. I think this is a personal deficiency in my part, and so I apologize, and I feel bad that I find politics interesting, but that's what it is, and so there's my interest lies. But anyway, I'm good, close personal friends with Representative Justin Mosh, who's making a bit of a name for himself, and there's a lot of speculation about what he's doing, and I've been very supportive of him, and um, unapologetically, because I think he's a great guy doing great things, and politically we align with each other pretty closely. And so I want to just have a discussion with you about what's going on with Justin. But I want to bring in other experts, other people who have different opinions. We've talked about immigration. We've talked about other issues with Justin and whether he's going to run or not. And so today I have a really special guest. And so I thought this is probably one, if you have interest in this sort of thing, to become a Patreon subscriber, have access to this. And we'll just call it the Amash Files for now. Uh, And so I met with Nathan Lemer. And Nathan and I go back quite a ways. Nathan was one of the first staffers that Justin had when he was in the State House in Michigan in the 72nd District. Uh, He then followed him to Congress when Justin won his congressional seat and was there for a while and then hopped around for a few different places, which is what happens to young people when they go to D.C. and they find new opportunities. He went to an organization called Generation Opportunity, uh, which is sort of young, hip, they sort of talk about politics and things. And then he went to Serve as a policy advisor, and probably where he's most famous, as a policy advisor for the FCC chairman, Ajit Pai, who was probably best known for striking down net neutrality and to trying to keep the internet open. There's certainly you have your opinions on net neutrality, but Nathan was actually very involved in the policy and the sort of the public advocacy for uh, Chairman Pai's position. And so he's had a lot of opportunities. And to see all sorts of different things and work with lots of different people in Congress and in the Senate. Uh, he also has left that position, and his next stop is with an organization called Targeted Victory, which is obviously political, and he's living in D.C., so naturally he's political. Uh, but we had a really great discussion. We talk about Justin uh, and a few things. What is he really like? What does he like working with? Because I've obviously just known personally. I don't know what he's like in the office. So we give you a better feel for what he's like professionally and then obviously personally. And then we discuss the two main races. One is he's currently committed to running for Congress here in the 3rd District of Michigan. He renounced his party membership in July of 2019 on July 4th, where he made his own declaration of independence. And he's been independent since. And he is definitely not beholden to any party. Not that he really ever was before, but he felt some obligation to keep his rhetoric at a low simmer uh, previously and now he no longer feels the need to do that. So he's more himself, I suppose you'd say. And the race will be him as an independent, a Republican, and a Democrat. And so what does that look like? Can he win that sort of race? Will he lose? And then what sort of implications from a national standpoint would that race have? Uh, you know, Does it send a message to the rest of the country, or does the country just shrug it off and not care? Secondly, we talk about probably the more interesting race is the potential that he runs for president. Uh, we talk about if he runs for president, can he win? And I think, as I said in the show, it's not zero. And I think it's more than just like one or two percent. I think there's actually a legitimate chance and the calculus is there. And 
you don't really know what's going to happen in the political season. So we discuss that. And so I think it's a real fun discussion about that. And as far as strategy and stuff, I think that's what Nathan and I will do for part two. So, uh, but it'll depend on what Justin decides to do. I suspect that we'll know within a month. So this is being released at the end of January, probably by the end of February, March, there'll be some answer whether Justin is completely ruled out running for president or if he decides um, to just go for it. And so till then, the Mosh Files will, will continue on, and even afterwards, they still will. So we'll talk about his race and very unique situation in the 3rd District in Michigan. But without further ado, discussion with Nathan Lemer, who is the former policy advisor to FCC Chair Ajay Pai, and a discussion on Congressman Justin Amash. Who is he, and can an independent slash libertarian win the presidency? Enjoy. Welcome, special subscribers. I have a really funny uh, episode here for you today. Uh, I'm speaking with Nathan Lemer, who is a good friend of mine from back in the days of West Michigan. Uh, Nathan was most recently and most famously, I joke, uh, was the policy advisor for the FCC chair, Ajay Pai. And he just recently left that position and he's now in a new new spot in D.C. But um, intimately knowledgeable of our friend Justin Amash and he's worked with him on a number of capacities. So, Nathan, why don't you just kind of tell your story about how you first met Justin and sort of how you got involved in sort of, and I guess ended up in D.C. Maybe that's a good sort of quick synopsis. Uh, that's a great question. Um, thanks again for having me uh, on your show. Uh, it's great oh, to pleasure. connect with you, Eric, after these many years. Uh, I love you guys and, and, and you know, follow you on social media and keep in touch, but it's great to talk in person. Um, so yeah, so, uh, I currently work as the public, uh, vice president at a public affairs firm here in DC called Target Victory. Um, I work primarily with a number of corporate clients in the technology space, kind of helping, uh, them navigate, uh, the intersection of technology and politics and policy, um, kind of understanding this ecosystem that is Washington DC. Um, I'm not a lobbyist, but I work with a lot of lobbyists, if you will. Um, before, uh, working in this position, I was a chairman. Um, and then before then, I was at Art Street Institute, where I was a, a senior fellow and outreach manager and ran their uh, technology portfolio. So again, a lot of technology policy. And, and that really was built upon my experience with uh, Representative Justin Mosh, where um, I served in a couple of different capacities. I started with um, him in the State House as a legislative aide working on education policy and literally anything that uh, Justin, Poppy, and Ben, the whole team there, <laughs> told me to do. Um, and, uh, I, it's funny, uh, the first, I, I studied to be a high school history teacher, um, and wanted to be a teacher. And unfortunately in Michigan in, in the mid two thousands, it was hard to get a teaching uh -huh. job. And one thing led to another and I got a job in Justin's office where I was doing education policy. And the funny thing was, uh, he would have me meet with teachers when they would come in from the teacher's union and talk about concerns with, you know, education reform or why school choice is a terrible idea. And I would tell them, well, the reason I'm not teachers because of you guys because of the policies <laughs> that allow you to do what you do and so what's funny is i actually worked with the minority house education committee at the time and actually i got to have my hand at helping the draft and just read over what became the teacher tenure reform uh in michigan that was passed uh years after i left this oh when house. they became the majority um, right because yeah when they became the majority by that time i had went with justin to uh, to dc so so we'll get to that in yeah. a second but the funny thing was i um I loved getting to craft this policy that really enacted revenge on those teachers that kept me from being a teacher. And I realized that it's like that Ben Kenobi situation, Star Wars, you strike me down, I'll become more powerful than you ever know. And that's when I realized I loved politics. Um, I really like love this. Like this is a fun game. Um, and so now the funny thing was when, when, you, when, you go to, when you go to work for a representative Justin Amash, you don't go there to play politics. You go there because you believe in something bigger. You believe in the constitutional values and and, and ideology and, and and principles. But understanding the hallways of Congress or the State House really was something that um, I found very interesting. And so I helped uh, you know the representative in the district for seven or eight months, and then the the chairman, uh, the representative, asked me to go with him to D.C., where I started out as a staff assistant and took on some policy issues and, and got to help with. Uh, uh, the NSA amendment that came out um, uh, right out of the Edward Snowden revelations. And that really catapulted me into tech policy writ large. So 
you know, between education and technology policy, I, I kind of found my little niche and that's what I've been kind of doing ever since. How did you initially, because uh, I don't remember you in the campaign, because I mean, usually, so for, as a background for people who aren't familiar with the state, so for one thing, I'd like to set the record straight that the state house is not full of experts uh, within these state representative offices. This is very, right. These are people who are maybe familiar with the process, like getting bills passed or like, you know, how to mm -hmm. contact donors, those sorts of things. Generally, it's like there are two people in the office. One is the person who's the guy, or the, you know, the man or woman who ran the campaign, usually the campaign manager. Mm -hmm. And the other person is a legislative aide. You're answering the phone. You're dealing with constituents. You're kind of, you, but there aren't, there's not this army of experts in education or whatever it might be, right? I mean, you have to, it's, you hopefully hire someone smart and they can kind of figure it out and help you navigate things as your rep. But you don't have this big, huge team that everyone gets the, gets the impression. Like people always tell me like, oh, well, you know, they'll have, a, I met with the big, you know, all the experts at wherever, on you know education or healthcare, I'm like these are people who are like they're they've they're not doctors. They know anything about healthcare. They may maybe they have, maybe yeah. one has a PhD, but for them you're lucky. They're just like college grads in political science. They don't you know have special in, special knowledge. Right. No, I, I definitely had no special knowledge. Um, I think I was like 24 or 25 uh, when that was happening. Um, the, the scenario was a little unique. I mean, they they hired me to be this staffer and and i think i was generally general generously titled uh legislative assistant but like the reality was i was answering phones doing constituent mail maybe going to a hearing and taking notes which i don't think was ever used for anything <laughs> um it was just like to keep me busy yeah. um so like you know you know if you say oh it was meeting with constituents or meeting with groups i mean that's true the mea came in to meet with me but like you know I think they were, you know, whoever the lobbyist was or whoever the group was, they were, you know, checking the box, yeah. um, meeting with me. And, and but of course, when you're 24, you think you are the center of the world yeah. by doing that. Um, and I think the reason they, they worked out that way was uh, Ben and, and 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 Poppy were both, you know, doing the state's business. But I think there's also a certain campaign and certain work in Grand Rapids that was also um, something that they were paying attention to as well. And so, you know, while um, you know, while they were out of session at certain days, you know, I was man in the office. And so I got to do, I think, a little bit more than maybe mm -hmm. a, a traditional front desker would do. And, and that definitely prepared me for, you know, an eye-opening experience. And I even had no idea I was going to work for Justin after he won the congressional race. I, I helped on the campaign, you know, in the evenings or weekends. Um, but, uh, you know, Poppy and Ben and, and Chad and that, that, that incredible team, uh, from back in 2010, that was a great dream team. If you really think about the oh, politics, yeah. what happened, there. Um, it was a incredible moment that you can't quite replicate, and 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 it's very hard to replicate what they did. Um, you know, I got to help out, and I, I led, you know, walk teams, and Jeff Amash and others would laugh at me because I would run fast through neighborhoods and drop as many door <laughs> door door hangers as I could within an hour. Um, you know, there's almost like a competition among us young millennials about who could deliver more uh, mail to, to houses uh, within 30 minutes or whatever. But um, it was a great experience and it was a really cool way of, of seeing up close and personal this, this, this world. And I think also indoctrinated me um, fully in, 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 in the ideas of, of limited government and freedom and, and these, these ideas that Justin has had since before I met him and has continued to have them a decade later. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Actually, to be honest, I met him a year ago. I mean, 10 years ago, like today was when I met him. So I was brought in 2010. And, and you worked with, so I know him personally. I don't really know him professionally. I never, yes. you know, so, and you obviously know him both ways, right? Like, you know, you've personally, you get to know people who you're around all the time. And, and I know you guys, right. especially, especially if you work in the campaign, you, you meet people, you know, personally too. And professionally, yeah. I mean, what would you, uh, what is your impression of him professionally and personally? Oh man. Um, I, I hope this is a long show. Uh, I could open a <laughs> beer and, and talk for hours about this guy. I mean, he, he is truly a mentor. Um, and, and I would, I would want to call him a friend and hope he would see, feel the same about me. I mean, we, we, we worked together and I, and I got to watch him grow. Um, but he's just an incredible person to work with. Um, really cares about the staff around him. He's family focused, which is very rare in politics. You know, he really does care about his family, his children, and he lets us know that, but does it in a, not an awkward way. I've heard of members of Congress who like give their like wife or spouse, like a, uh, like an office in the, within the congressional office. It makes it really awkward for everyone. Yeah. Um, he never did that. You know, we weren't expected to babysit his children. 
Um, but the, the care for them was really clear. And he, 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 he did that so well and, and getting to know his brothers and his family, you know, there was that close knit community around him. Uh, but then also with his staff, uh, uh, what was fun is, is he, uh, he's not much older than any of us. I mean, I, I'm, yeah, right. I'm just a few years older than him. So like, here's this, you know, 28 year old, 29 year old member of Congress, you know, think about that, a 30 year old member of Congress, like hanging out with us, uh, which is just kind of an amazing, uh, thing to, to think about. Um, chit-chatting and, and was fun is so staffers in, Con- in Capitol Hill uh, sit in most of them sit in like a bullpen kind of room and so they're they're cubicles terrible furniture terrible modular furniture they need to redo the whole thing <laughs> um, but like he would sit in the middle with all of us and he would like tell stories about like, what was going on that day or give incredible impressions of John Boehner or whatever it was and, and you really felt like you were having this really neat conversation with him um, he does expect like a lot of his staff, but like he's very fair about it. He's not overbearing and, and not um, uh, a tyrant, but he's also, he expects you to do better. And I, I became a, a better writer because of him. I became a, a, a more thoughtful communicator. I, I, I became uh, more diligent with, with details because of him, because he wants it done right. Uh, because he expects that of you, but he also holds himself up to that standard as well. And that's a pretty rare thing on, on Capitol Hill. Yeah, and I would, and knowing him personally uh, for many years now, over ten years, um, yeah. I, the one thing that strikes me most about him, aside from the fact that you know he's very principled and 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 lives those principles, like you said, with family and all these things that are important to him, values which I I hold, and I think most people in this community in general hold uh, in West mm-hmm. Michigan, although probably most Americans hold, frankly. Um, sure. Uh, and it's not a phoniness to him. Uh, But the thing that strikes me the most is here's a guy who is very much a lonely voice in in upholding the Constitution and not, you know, I guess, bending his will to uh, lobbyists and, you know, groveling for money and trading votes for for influence or whatever. And yet he remains incredibly optimistic. Like most people you meet who are libertarian, uh, and I would include myself in this, are fairly defeatist or like, well, you know. I'm going to do my best to, to succeed, but I have really no expectation, for instance, that I will win in most of my battles because generally the status position or whatever you might want to call it tends to prevail, right? I mean, I, or at least that's what, that's your impression as uh, from someone who's a libertarian. And yet he is not that way. Like he thinks he's going to win these battles against the, you know, NSA, for instance, and he practically right. did. I mean, it's, it's really remarkable. And even when he loses, he's like, well, we'll just try a different strategy. It, it doesn't seem to deter him he doesn't like frustrate or I don't know. It's just, it's pretty amazing. Cause I think most people would want to, you know, bang their head against the wall or shoot themselves in the head. Like I just can't handle this, you know, atmosphere in DC. And he just kind of keeps just going along. It's really evident when he goes on uh, a traditional media outlet, like uh, CNN or Fox, he never on Fox news, but yeah, <laughs> if he's on like a CNN, uh, uh, actually this interview with Jake Tapper, he did last week, uh, Jake, he, he's kind of negative. He's like all oh, about the impeachment and it's very like, you know, but you're a lonely voice in the wilderness. Yeah. And, 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 and Justin's like, just like upbeat. He's like, yeah, you know, I'm hanging in there. I, I feel great. I, I've never felt better than, than I did after I left the party. Like he says it with a conviction that doesn't sound fake, which is such a unique um, trait that he has compared to so many people in, in, in politics. Um, so many people that I've come across and, you know, again, working on the Hill, working, um, for nonprofits working in the kind of lobby space, working uh, in the public affairs space, and actually in the administration, I've gotten to see all these different kind of sides of, of, of DC. And he, he, he really does stand alone in a unique way, but in a very good way and in a refreshing way. Um, it, it's funny to me when, when in May and Ju- June and July, when a lot of news was about, you know, uh, Justin's political affiliation and, and, and his thoughts on the impeachment were written in such a very you know thoughtful way and elegant way. Um, I had members I had members of the press reaching out to me saying not like for information on, on Justin, but more of like I just like him. Like these reporters who were on in Capitol Hill, like a uh, 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 um, Haley Bird is a perfect example of this who, who writes it. I think for CNN, yeah. she just you could tell there's like this actual soft spot in her heart for him, not because she's more biased towards him or against him, but she's like a he is such a fresh voice and face to these conversations that you just don't have in DC. And, and it, it just comes through and it always has, it, that has never changed. Um, even though his haircuts has changed uh, since the days that I met him, 
uh, uh, thankfully. Uh, he, he, he is not cha- yeah, thankfully. I won't go into that. <laughs> um, but I think MY had that one picture oh, for like eight years. Uh, they still bring it up. Yeah. <laughs> the Romulan haircut, it was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, he was great. But I mean, they, they, they changed, and, 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 but he, he has not. I mean, I mean, the suits may have changed, but he has not. I think that's a really incredible thing. And it's recognized by his staff and his former staff. So um, in August, uh, a month after the, the, the announcement of the Declaration of Independence, um, I actually put together a little happy hour for all the former staff and current staff to get together. And everyone responded. Everyone was there. Everyone who worked on his staff, whether scheduler, staff assistant, chief of staff was there. And it was really neat to see everyone just like we, we all flocked to him. He puts his banner up. We're all going to flock to him and have that conversation. Um, what's neat is, though, some of these staff have left and have you know, different thoughts. You know, we, we might think about politics a little differently, might think of st- uh, strategy a little differently, but he was kind enough and gracious enough to engage with us and, and to take our questions and think creatively and, and discuss and discern and disagree and, and debate in a really way that I don't think members of Congress would, would usually do. That was pretty neat to have that happen. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a little bit of the Mr. Smith goes to Washington, right? I mean, he, he does, he's not um, folksy, uh, and, you know, uh, he's very, you know, cerebral, intellectual, um, but, but it's, but the, I think the genuine and this, the commitment to sort of be himself uh, is, is real. And I think that, I think, yes. you know, people recognize that and, and the ones who get to know him, it's very interesting because, you know, generally when you see people describe him and it's always anonymous source, right? Or almost always. They always describe him as, um, you know, unable to get along with people. Uh, he's a jerk. He's, you know, whatever. I mean, it, and it generally comes from the leadership of the party, at, you know, back mm-hmm. when he was the Republican Party. When I would talk to him, I mean, he'd explain his interactions and things. And I mean, there's always a chance that someone's mischaracterizing their uh, their interaction with someone. And so he may think, oh, oh great. And maybe it truly didn't, you know. I mean, we've all had those situations. What What do you think the honest... Uh, you know, with working with colleagues and things like that. I mean, do you really think there's there, a lot of them think he's just a terrible person or do you think that's, no. uh, or do you think that just sort of, they put that there to try and discredit opposition to a bill or something? You know, it's funny. I, I've met with those said congressmen and representatives. It's really funny. Most people associate me with, with, with a Jeep pie now. It's really funny. Like, like you, you like, Oh, you you work for a Jeep. Oh, Oh, what's it like to like kill that neutrality? Yeah. I'm like, I could go on for hours about that. He's such a great guy. Who did you work before? And I'm like, oh, Justin Amash. Oh, he, <laughs> he's he's really committed to his positions, isn't he? And I'm like, yeah, that's that's a really nice way of saying it. Like, like that's yeah. like the way that they would get around it. Um, but I never heard mean. I never heard you know hard, uh, uh, difficult personality. Maybe they would say hard to work with because they would perceive his perspective as as wooden, and therefore he couldn't change his constitutional perspective. How terrible it is that he's so constitutional. But like they would never say that, um, and and you know um, uh, I've, I've never heard anyone say, oh, he was you know a, a difficult person personality. Uh, they might say they disagree with his positions or whatnot. But um, I have met with some leadership people who who their their eye rolls are more dramatic um, yeah. <laughs> than they than maybe uh, rank and file members. But um, uh, you know it, it's funny. I was actually meeting with someone from 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 the former speaker of the House's office, and and they were. They, they confirmed, I mean, the reality was, I mean, J- Justin was, um, when he talked about those communications with, with John Boehner, he wasn't lying. That wasn't just, you know, Justin's perspective. That was perceived as well from, from Boehner's office or, or, or other speakers. I mean, that, that's, that's how he, he came across. And, 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 and so I think it's, I think the funny thing about, about Justin is he doesn't lie at all. He's like the only politician I met who doesn't actually <laughs> lie. Um, so whenever he says like like he did have good relationships with this person that person he's he's right he's not he's not he's not you know misleading you um, at all and he really he really did have those conversations or those relationships. Yeah. So, all right. So let's move into the next part of the conversation here, which is the the fun part. Um, yes. All right. So first, the disclaimer: you and well, I assume you and I have no knowledge. Uh, we have knowledge of Justin and sort of his intentions, I suppose, but we don't know for sure about anything. We have no idea what's really going to happen. Uh, and this mm-hmm. is, ref- this is uh, reference to his political future, whether he continues his run for Congress here. I mean, the speculation he continues his run for Congress here in the third district as an independent, uh, where there's already a GOP primary and democratic primary uh-huh. to run for that seat. Uh, and then he runs as an independent. The other alternative that has been floated and he is not, said no to is that he runs for president 
And the only way you realistically run for president, since he's not worth a billion dollars, is you have to run as uh, a member of another party. And naturally, the fit wow. would be the Libertarian Party. And right. so uh, knowing Justin and the fact that he doesn't run for things if he doesn't think he has a chance of winning. Like, I, mm-hmm. um, I may think he has no chance, but I've been wrong a number of times. <laughs> and he's, he's proven yes. me wrong, and many people, right? Not just... Um, so let's let's try and imagine um, a scenario because running for Congress here in the, as an independent, I don't think there's anything really interesting about that in the sense that um, it's just your typical congressional race. It obviously be a three-way race. You have to win a, win a plurality uh, where you don't have to have 50%, but there's nothing really special about that, I don't think, unless you think there's something unique about that run. I think it's... So I do. Okay, so why don't you go I, ahead I and go through that? Unique about this. I, so let me ask you this. Um, first off, and I'll confirm, I have no knowledge. I just have no knowledge. Ask my wife, I have no knowledge of anything. But I have no knowledge about uh, what, what Justin may or may not do. I, I would even venture that he may not even know what he will do. Um, honestly, he, he, it's such a, probably, there's probably some Hayekian like, reasoning about why he hasn't decided what he's going to do next. Um, uh, you know, like, like he hasn't left, you know, he hasn't closed the door on, on, on the presidential run or what's he going to do with the congressional run. But what has been fascinating for me, and I think it's really fascinating among kind of the, the, the circles I run in, in Washington, D.C., and again, I, I'm not I'm not involved in any campaign, I'm not involved in any race. Uh, uh, Target Victory is a public affairs firm. I work with corporate clients. I know there are people in my space who work in the elections, but I'm not affiliated with them. I don't work with them, so just get that off, yeah, the, sure. off my chest. Um, but it is fascinating to hear an incumbent run as an, as, as an independent in a 50-50 state. And 50-50 district. That to me is such a fascinating uh, uh, hypothetical that we might see because Grand Rapids is generally what plus four, plus uh, plus six Republican somewhere right. in there. Yeah, and, um, it, leans Republican. But when has the Republican switched parties, run as an independent, and now you have a situation where the Democrat could potentially win? You know, what I mean, like, like it's totally changed the calculus of that district. Um, in a way that I just think is really unique. And I don't know if people in Grand Rapids are talking about it, but it is something that people in D.C. think about and talk about, is this is a rare situation. You could see the Republican Party, the RNC, thinking, oh, we have a shot at knocking off this you know, in, insurgent incumbent. You also have the Democrats saying, oh, we have a shot at, at winning West Michigan. You also have Justin with like all the cards at his, at his disposal saying, oh, I could still win this and show both parties how wrong they are. This is a very interesting situation. You know, actually, you're completely right. And I probably shouldn't have discounted it so much because you get excited about the big, huge thing at the top of the hill. But, yes. um, and I would, and, and I would just to, for people who are listening who may not re- realize when you say 50 50 or plus four, plus six, that's sort of like the general, um, general like Republican versus Democrat, how Republican or de- Democratic district is. And you say it's like plus four, plus six Republican, which means, it's not, it's Republican, but not super Republican, right? So it's not like mm-hmm. an automatic win. Like there are certain districts that are, you know, plus 25%. And so really you, right. it does, you could almost be Jesus and lose, you know, right? If you're the yes. wrong party. Uh, and so this is a district that's split. And so there's so many scenarios you can look at in this race. Like you could say, well, if you're a Democrat, your main, uh, your main goal is to win Democratic seats. Your secondary mm-hmm. goal is to deny a Republican to win a seat because if there's right. one or two independents, what do you really care? It's one or two votes that you've denied the other side from getting. And so in some of you could say, you know, it's actually better for us if we just kind of almost sit out the race. Because mm-hmm. if he's going to take it and beat the beat up the Republican and, you know, let's say he picks up 40 percent of the Democratic vote, the base here in you know, West Michigan, we don't really care because we don't want to pour a ton of money. We got all kinds of other things and resources. You know, we got to win a presidential race. We got to win a bunch of Senate seats, all this other stuff. It's just better for us if he just if he just coasts and, and somehow wins, because then we right. deny the Republicans. I mean, the other flip side is you could say, well, he's a former Republican running against Republicans and a Democrat, so maybe he just splits up that fifty four percent that's Republican, and now the Democrat mm-hmm. wins, like he said. Maybe now this is an opportunity. Um, and so I, you're right. It's absolutely depends on the calc- it depends on how he's polling. It depends on how much money he raises. Depends on the you know the candidates in the district. But I don't think many people are really talking about that here, to be honest. Um, really? Yeah. It, and I think that's pretty typical of any sort of congressional election. I, I don't think a lot of people, unless you're hardcore into politics, you're not really paying any attention to congr- you know, congressional races. I think it's certainly interesting. And I think the fact that he still is 
toying with the idea or he's at least not totally dismissed the run for Mm -hmm. presidency that, you know, people are kind of waiting to see what happens. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, now is about when the primary season kind of kicks off and starts heating up. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, you know, that, you know, how Mm -hmm. much money you have at hand and all those sorts of things. And those haven't been disclosed until the end of this month on how much money raised by Linda last year. Uh, so, but I, I, one thing I question I have, and maybe you can answer this is let's say he wins as an independent, mm-hmm. what kind of, does it really have a significant impact in DC? I mean, he can't caucus with a party. He still just is a congressman. Does it, is it going to, would it really have reverberations nationwide? Like people saying, Hey, you can win as an independent or do they say, eh, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, special situation. It really doesn't. It's a unique sort of congressional district in the way it all happened. And so it doesn't really, you know, it's translatable to any other areas. It's a great question. I actually think um, him winning in 2020 in Grand Rapids, in the West Michigan, Grand Rapids, you know, MI3 yeah, right. congressional district um, would be huge uh, and, and actually reverberate in Washington, D.C. Uh, and, and I say that because you have a situation where a couple organizations that were traditional supporters of him, Club for Growth and, and Freedom Works, I'm going to use those two guys, I'm going to pick on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, friends of mine, but I'm going to pick on yeah. them. Uh, 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 they, they're saying, we're going to sit this one out. You know, we, we don't stand with Justin, who is like, you know, the best member <laughs> right. by our sport cards in the history of their sport cards. We're going to sit it out because of his positioning on impeachment, which is, by the way, a like a really faithful interpretation of the constitution and, and precedent and law and like understanding limited government. And then, and I'm not commenting on my thoughts on impeachment, just saying what Justin's saying is totally within the realm of like a really good perspective to have a faithful perspective to have. So for them to sit it out and not just sit it out, but you know, the DeVos family and other people that the big back, big backers and big names to sit this out. If he wins, it shows that he's bigger than those special interests. Yeah in a way that I think, I don't, don't think people should underestimate. That's a, that's a, that would reverberate around here. It also says that he has, he, it proves what he said 10 years ago, which is that Grand Rapids, West Michigan is a unique enough area that would want a libertarian leaning Republican member of Congress in 2010. And he said that there were different people back then who, who you know, if you look at the voting, I mean, they've always uh, trended very independent. They voted um, least with, with I think of all the Republican districts in Michigan, they voted voted at least with Donald Trump. I mean, they've always been really independently minded, and this would show that his his district um, is a very thoughtful, engaged electorate. Um, and that again, you could throw Steve Pesca, you could throw Brian Ellis, you can throw yeah. all these other people at him, and he still wins. And I think that's a pretty incredible thing to have. I think I can walk on water at that point. Um, and also, I think it also kind of carries on that kind of Ford, Gerald Ford kind of integrity, you know, uh, uh, a legacy that people like to think of, of that West Michigan area. I have all sorts of theological thoughts about the Dutch Reformed right. yeah. history there and all those other things and my alma mater, Calvin College, but I'm not going to go into It's that. Calvin University but now, just so you That's right. And I know. Uh, <laughs> but they, they will not give me a, a free upgrade on my um, yeah. uh, a diploma. I have to buy a new one. It's ridiculous. Um, anyway, I, I digress. But so I think it would reverberate back in the district, but I think also in, in DC. And I do think it is worth considering how an independent caucus could grow. How do people like Angus King, who's independent from Maine in the Senate, think about that? How do how do other members who, you know, there's a flip in, in New Jersey where Democrats switch to being Republican um, to win in their seat in 2020? But like it does make you wonder, hey, maybe this maybe this is the start of something bigger. I think it goes back to something uh, Justin talked a lot about in his op-ed and his reasonings uh, about the impeachment was, and I hope hope this is a helpful conversation. Um, He talked about how the need to educate the public about what's going on and how uh, the president is not the problem. He's a symptom of the bigger problem. And I think that uh, winning an election, having two more years to sit in that position and to grow this power and say, you can't touch me uh, to these other special interests in both the left and the right, he has an opportunity to say, no, I am this position and this is how the public should should engage on this. And so, you know, I would encourage him, whether he wins or loses or runs for president or whatever, to like take the opportunity to hit as many, you know, Joe Rogan podcasts, as many David Rubin podcasts, as many um, interviews on TV, go on Fox, go on MSNBC, go on CNN and tell the story 
that you have that clearly the people in Grand Rapids uh, resonate with and see if you can build this audience. Because I think you're right, there is this silent majority of people who want to hear a member or want to hear a candidate say this thing that we all recognize as a bigger problem. Yeah, that's a good point. And I guess, you know, there are two, I mean, Bernie Sanders won as an independent uh, for years yeah. and years, but I don't feel like it encouraged other people to be independent. And maybe that's because he was a socialist and he just couldn't say yeah. that. I, so, I'll, yeah, well, it's, it, it, you're right. There's probably, it has probably a bigger impact. And what's interesting too, as I've always noticed, is that politics as a profession is way, um, way more uh, focused. It's more talked about in DC, right? I mean, so when you say mm-hmm. people are talking about in DC, I'm like, no one's talking about here because. It, yeah. Because people just aren't, it's not a profession, right? I mean, for the most part, it's, it's a spectator sport at most. And then it becomes important for a couple of weeks leading up or a couple of months, maybe leading up to the election. My, my parents would agree with you. This is not a real profession. I just somehow <laughs> made it into one for 10 years, but you're totally right. It's, it's like only within the people at my coffee shop or at my bar or on Twitter that I see are talking about this, but it's, it, it again, it, it's something that I think is, would be interesting among the halls of Congress to see how that plays out longer term um especially let's say how 2020 turns out with the with the election yeah. or going on beyond there so it's also the fact that he's younger than most members he's like like 40 years old i mean he has so many political lives he can live um just even staying in in, in that district it really does open up doors but again the other hypothet- hypothetical that i'm sure you want to talk about as yeah. well is what if he ran for president what, what if he won that what would that look like? I think it's a very interesting hypothetical to look at as well so i don't know how familiar you are with libertarian politics um but I think it, you guys are all crazy. Yeah, I think it's I think it's fair to say that it's uh, somewhat of a dumpster fire, the Libertarian yeah. Party, and yes. in many levels. And and I say that endearingly, right? As someone who yes. Yes. toiled for many years, I I've uh, I've been in and out of the Libertarian Party for years. I was out of it pretty much um, just when I was trying to be active with the Republican Party to try and affect the change that Justin wanted in the okay. Republican Party. I kind of I remember saying to my wife, I right. said, well. It's, if this guy wins, I'm just I'm all in in the Republican Party to try and to try and you know move things towards more liberty. Thinking were that we I, it was all a, characters like were we all like characters of Rogue One? You know, yeah. like Justin, you want us to deliver this message? We'll all die at the sword of like light of Darth Vader to deliver this message of freedom. Is that like what we all did? We did these you know we all listened to the Republican Party. We all hung in there for a number of years, some one year, yep. some ten years, and we're all at the end of the day like screw this place. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, that's no question the truth. And and I would say for me, so I honestly, when I make that pledge, it was like, yeah, this is a three month pledge. <laughs> it's it's not really I'm not giving up. He's going to lose the primary. Well, he won the primary. Well, OK, yeah. so he's in the House for a couple of years. I'll, I'm yeah. all in for a couple of years. And then I think, well, he's probably got six years because you have to work pretty hard to get unseated as incumbent in Michigan mm-hmm. term limits. You're out of six years. And then he ran for Congress that, well, OK, you know, I'm all in for this. I was I ran for his house seat lost, fortunately. Yeah. Uh and then, um, and then he just continued to win. I mean, every time you think he's going to lose, he kept winning. And so I just was in until he was talking to me, and it was well, he was like, "I'm out." <laughs> it took him a while to announce, but I thought, "Good," because I'm <laughs> I've done about everything I can, and I just can't. I'm not making any progress. Like all the the allies who were once Tea Party people, they're just so uh, beholden to the the Trump phenomenon that it. I mean, it's a cult of personality in many ways in the party, uh, mm-hmm. which you, is why you don't see it so much in the public. I think, but you definitely see it more in the party and people who are hardcore party people. And it's just, I don't know, just people not bound by or motivated by ideology or principles. I should say it. It just, I'm like, why? What's the point of politics if you're not trying to actually, you know, do the things you said you yeah. were important to you? So. Anyway, so that's why I got out. But, um, but I think you know the only for him to run for president, the only way you really do it is in the Libertarian Party because if people don't know, ballot access is almost impossible. Uh, it's super duper expensive if you're trying to do it outside of party. Um, even mm-hmm. the other parties, uh, I suppose if you you could do Green Party, but ideologically he doesn't match up with anything in the, within the Green Party, and I think it'd be very challenging for him to get you know, the nomination even though he'd be yeah. one of their highest profile candidates since Ralph Nader. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I guess the, I guess, you know, the first question is would he win the nomination? I think he would. I don't think it'd be too mm-hmm. challenging. And so then, then the question is, well, the only reason he'd do it is if he thinks he can win. So mm-hmm. how does he win? Like, how do you win as a Libertarian Party candidate in 2020 against, I don't know who you think's going to win. I mean, it's going to be Trump, obviously. And then I don't know who's going to win the Democratic side. Biden, Sanders, does it matter? I mean, is that like a part of his calculus, which you can't know when you have to announce? 
Yeah, I, there's a lot of so questions. <laughs> it is a lot of questions. Um, let's just let's just put on the hat that I'm going to say that let's say he wanted to do it, and I think you're right about saying that he he doesn't do things unless he thinks he's going to win. Um, you know, uh, that has always been his mo, and I think that's a really valiant um, uh, perspective to have. And I, I think he wouldn't do this in the mindset of being an educator to like you know run on an issues campaign to kind of raise awareness. He would do it to win. Um, with that in mind, though, I do think, uh, regardless of whether he did it for that reason or to actually win, I, I think that it comes down to you need to get on TV, you need to get on radio, you need to go on the internet and saturate the airwaves. I, I have been fascinated by the campaign of, and if you see my Twitter, I'm obsessed with him, the Andrew Yang campaign for yeah. the same reason. Like, there is something about, like, I mean, his, his ideas are mostly off the wall. Um, but like, there's something about running nonstop and going on every podcast, every show, everything you can do, always being accessible, always being available. I saw him on an Amtrak train, um, 11 o'clock at night between New York city and Philadelphia and DC. And he got up in the middle of the middle of the train and started taking pictures of people, including me. He was extremely <laughs> exhausted. He was like, I'm going to be Mr. People person. He was the anti Rand Paul for those of oh, you at home yeah. who don't know. Love the senator, but like he is the most prickliest person you've ever met. Not just me, Matt Welsh, the editor of Reason, said the same thing. Um, he's a prickly guy. He's not an easy person to like engage with. Um, uh, I think it's one of the shortcomings in 2016. He just doesn't come across as natural. And I think, you know, for, for Justin, he would have to kind of do what AOC and Andrew Yang and these other people are doing, where they're willing to go on with anyone. Um, Pete Buttigieg is. Uh, um, uh, campaign manager her name is Liz Smith and she is famous for saying I put Peter people to judge on every station including Fox News because if you're not willing to speak to them why would you expect their vote and so what I would say to Justin and his team would be to like get out and meet every person you possibly can tell your story because his story can be popular with people but the problem is they have to know it exists no one else is saying this story yeah. No one else is saying these principles and talking about these ideas. And so how is, how are people to, how do you expect them to just, Oh, I'll just vote for this Justin Amash guy um, who I've never heard of, or I heard Fox news talking poorly about him or the president tweeted about him in a negative way. What, what, what he did at that town hall that was covered by so many of the mainstream media is what he needs to do more. He needs to show who he is as a real person. He needs to hold town halls and get out there as much as he can. And I think that would, Let's say he did it that way. I'm just using the Nathan Lemer approach, yeah. there, which is, I'm sure, not that, you know, it's not that bold, but it's something that, that would, that's the way you can get your name out there. You know, the internet allows you to get your story out there to so many more people for such a, a, a less amount of money. And look, with a little bit of Russian support, maybe he can win the election. Because <laughs> some, some Facebook ads, right? A couple of Facebook <laughs> ads and he, he'd push him over the top. That's exactly So, right. um, no, I think it's really good. I, it, and I guess uh, so. How do you, so as a Republican, as a Libertarian candidate, you are you are on every ballot because pretty much they're mm -hmm. going to be on every ballot. So you have the ability to win any state, um, theoretically. Mm -hmm. And so then you have to get a plurality. You don't need to win the entire state. Now, of course, certain states have electoral, like uh, based on congressional districts, and so there might be some, mm -hmm. you know, like Nebraska, and I think Maine's another one. Um, and uh, and then how do you how do you have to because you have to win a state. I mean, if you, yes. and you have to get a, to a point where you can win a state because I think, you know, the the main problem that most libertarians have and well, let's just say all of them is that people don't think mm -hmm. they can win. And if people don't think you can win, they're not going to bother with you. And so how do you mm -hmm. get to that point where you can uh, where you can pull high enough to actually convince people that you can win or and more than just uh, stop someone from winning, which is pretty much like, you know, the spoiler effect and that people but that you actually people are like, Hey, I can actually vote for this guy and he might actually win. And then it's worth sending money. It's worth campaigning. It's worth, you know, whatever, yeah. talk to my neighbors about and to try and convince them of this. Because I mean, I think you have two, you're going to have one for sure. And probably two fairly unpopular candidates that he's going to be running against, mm -hmm. which will be obviously an advantage. How do you, how do you leverage that as a libertarian and, and actually get to a point where you can get on TV because you can do all the channels you want in front of 40 people in, you know, Tuscaloosa, but that's not going to help you because you need to get mass media exposure for running for national office. Yes. I mean, I mean, what we're talking about is something would be totally unprecedented and Herculean um, in so many different ways. And it would be probably the most incredible political uh, upset 
of all time is what we're predicting or what we're playing with here. But if, if you, it, 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 what I also think he, he would need to do or someone who was running in that position would need to do would be to not have an Aleppo moment uh, first off yeah, right. <laughs> and, and to stay on message and, and, and to not allow yourself to get distracted by small things like that. Um, but also um, to really open up uh, to a larger network of people um, who might be dissatisfied with, mo- with with either parties and get to a point where now you're starting to think about people who are saying, oh, I don't just want to be a spoiler. I want someone who can get 20, 25% and then hopefully it goes up to 30 or 40 or whatever it is that you have to win. Um, but uh, uh, it, is, it is one of these things that I just think is so fascinating. I don't know, do you target certain states? Do you go to states like New, ha- New Hampshire that have live free and die in their, yeah. in, in, in their tagline? Do you go to like Kentucky and hang out with Thomas Massey and Rand Paul the whole time? But then what's Mr. McConnell going to react to that? Mm. What are the other people of Kentucky going to do that? You know, how do you play within that um, to kind of build out to, to a different audience? The, the thing I will say is, listen, I'm not in the real America like, like you, but I, I will say that the conversation I've had with, with, with when I go back to my parents' house in Pennsylvania or go back to Michigan is people are dissatisfied with both parties. Yeah. And so can you play out that dissatisfaction in a way that generates uh, more excitement and more support? Um, and I think we will only know if someone tries it and does it. I do think that, I mean, I do honestly think that, I mean, Justin is, is uniquely qualified and situated to try something that hasn't been done before um and successfully and but i think it also requires building a really good team and getting that team together real quick that's the thing that i think i've gotten privy to in a way that wasn't before is the infrastructure to run a campaign or the infrastructure to run uh, an agency or or a congressional office it requires so much so much you need field teams you need press teams you need rapid response you need researchers you you know all these different things you need just the the administrative side of it the the good schedulers and the good you know advanced people that is a lot of work and a lot of um of of of, of weight to be to be brought put together in a short amount of time and that's where the question comes for for him and his team is that can you guys put this together in a fast enough amount of time to get that um to, to build that uh, infrastructure and so that's something that things can be key to key to that as well and and people you know obviously you have a libertarian infrastructure but they're not good at winning. No, no. And, and, and I think if anything, if you follow libertarian <laughs> politics, you you say, well, they're actually really good at spending money that gets wasted. Right? I mean, if you look yeah, at the Gary Johnson right. campaign, hardly any money made it past the consultants. Yeah. And and he raised millions of dollars, right? So, yeah. Uh, and that's a real big problem. And it and it's so you, with a normal campaign, normal by, meaning you're either the Democratic or Republican Party, there are good consultants, bad consultants. There are good teams, bad teams you can purchase. On the Libertarian Party, there's probably not a good team you can buy. I mean, it's not like a go-to no. team that's very successful. There are people who are probably reliable, uh, mm-hmm. but you have to, like you said, you have to assemble that and put together. I trust him that he could do it. I think the time, like you said, it's you, the one thing he's um, not had to do a lot of is delegation, right? And where you sort of mm-hmm. let go of a lot of parts of your campaign and just hope it gets it, it gets executed the way you want. You can certainly keep your message as you want. Uh, you can. Your general strategy can be the same, but as far as you know, whether people are doing the you know the the groundwork that you need done, I mean that's really kind of up to the you know people you're just going to trust to sort of coordinate that, and that's you know that's probably a hard thing to to let go. Um, so, in looking at the mechanics of the of the race, and I would say that people always talk about in the Libertarian Party, if only we hit the threshold to make it into debates. So that's generally fifteen mm-hmm. percent polling. I think you and I know that if a libertarian starts pulling at 18, 19%, those debates will get canceled, right? <laughs> uh, they, the, the two parties will do everything they can because for their calculus, they, they understand the mathematics when it comes to just the two of them. And uh, sure. when you start adding someone who's got a significant portion, you don't know where the, those votes are coming from. Every, every Republican says every vote, you know, for libertarians, a waste of his lost vote for the Republicans, Mm -hmm. but really pretty much the same thing is oftentimes said by the Democrats. And, and when you look at polling, when Justin sort of theoretically thrown in there on a few polls, it doesn't look like it's obvious where he's pulling from. And that's generally, I Mm -hmm. think where you see most libertarian, is it just a protest vote Mm -hmm. or whatever? And so Mm -hmm. I would think that your ability to, to get in a debate is low unless you are absolutely essentially you have to be confronted right and so that means right after the convention uh, in may which is memorial weekend 
assuming he gets the nomination, then he would have to, I think, really uh, leverage his popularity and uh, and and uh, celebrity, which he has some because mm-hmm. of the impeachment thing and all this, and certainly yeah. even with people on the left, and hit a town hall or two on CNN. And you have to be really good, right? Because I think mm-hmm. I think they engage, they sort of assess things at that point with where where ratings are right if you are someone who's drawing people in and they are interested and they want to learn more if you're good they'll want to put you on tv more if you're a dud mm-hmm. you're done right and, and i don't think you'll ever because then because then maybe Santa will say well even though you're pulling at 12 percent, you're like dynamite television right like donald trump like this guy's a nobody yeah. he doesn't know anything he's a yeah. reality tv star he doesn't know anything about politics but he gets ratings mm-hmm. right and that's really what drives them as because they can make anything news <laughs> if it gets ratings Oh, that's exactly right, and and I think, and I think that's something that that you know, Justin is would be difficult for Justin that that going on TV every day and putting himself out there and working with reporters nonstop is not something that's a strong suit in my opinion. I mean, I think he's great when he does it, but it, it takes a lot of time. It, it's not, you know, he. he I, I'm assuming he would much rather read a, a book of Hayek or or <laughs> or, 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 or Bastiat than than sit on CNN. Although I would think I would hope that would anyone. Um, but I think what, what's interesting about the media landscape nowadays, and I think that's why it, it, every every year with new technology and new ways of communicating and new platforms gives us new ways to see more likelihood of, of someone trying it a different way, different trying the election a different way. And I think that you know there are people out there who who get lots of views. I mean, look, I mean, if you look on YouTube channels, um, I said David Rubin before, but like Joe Rogan in the same way, these people draw more viewers than. And then, then cable news, right. you know, um, the AOC, uh, Netflix special that's going to be watched in every house. You know, if, if there's a vice news documentary, it gets picked up by HBO or Netflix. Now you're opening up to the game of Thrones audience. Now you're opening up to the, um, Netflix and chill audience, which I'm assuming our kids doing things they shouldn't be doing, <laughs> but like who probably can't vote. So what's the point? But my point is you are getting to these audiences that you wouldn't otherwise. And through new mediums, you can tell your story to different people. And, and, you know, if you have a good Twitter following, if you have all these different things, you can show to new people. Now with that said, you still have to go to every coffee shop in Iowa and New Hampshire and Michigan, Michigan, you have to go to every town hall, but in every church and all these other events and functions yeah, and, right. you know, carnivals and everything else. But, there are new ways of telling your story and reaching new people. I find it really interesting how, while people don't live on political Twitter every day or aren't following uh, C-SPAN every day, they're fully aware and, and educated and articulate on the issues of the day. And, you know, I live in Virginia and in Alexandria and everyone around my, in my neighborhood was talking tonight about the, 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 the gun pro uh, gun march and, and the conversation about that. And, the realities of what's going on and, you know, nuanced positions. And, and it, it, it shows that the PP public are seeing what's going on, but they're just not immersed in it to a degree that's nauseating and, and, and they're doing other things in their daily lives. And could, could a guy like Justin or someone else penetrate that conversation in a way uh, that, 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 you know, normal voters and regular voters and, and, and the undecided would think about. And I, and I, I wonder how many, you know, Trump supporters or, you know, uh, straight ticket Democrats would be like, you know, if someone else was out there, I would reconsider. And I wonder if that's really true in this, in 2020. Yeah. I, I think there's, I think there's no doubt there's a, there's a possibility that there's a, a large contingent of people. I think the, the question is of course how large it is, right? Because when you look mm-hmm. at people self-identify as parties, it's really pretty low. I mean, you're looking about 30%, maybe 40% of people identify hardcore with either Republican Democratic party. Well, that leaves right. 60% of people who don't identify with anybody. I don't, you're not going to get all those. I mean, obviously some people lean R, lean D or whatever, but, um, that's, that prevents a lot of large opportunity. And I think, again, it just comes down to legitimacy. Do you seem like a legitimate person who has any remote chance of winning? Mm-hmm. And, and it's really easy to say, well, there's no chance, but I would look back to 1992, I think it was 92, uh, with Ross Pro, And that was my, I think it was my first election that I voted in. Yeah. And he was almost at 20% nationally by, you know, whatever. And I think polling is a little better than, than it is now. And, um, and he dropped out of the race, but he was climbing. Like it wasn't, he wasn't just like at 19 for a long time. He had just been climbing and climbing to 19, 
20%. He was in the debates. I mean, mm-hmm. he bought some airtime, which is at that time, that was the only way to get on the TV, right? Because uh, you, because earned media was very much, you know, gatekeeper focused where, like you yeah. said, now it's yeah. not. Uh, and, and I think had he not dropped out of the race, because I think he said there were credible threats against his family, I think it was sort of why he dropped out. And then he came back in the race. And at that point, he sort of lost whatever moment, momentum. And I think momentum is a real thing in politics. Mm-hmm. But I mm-hmm. think it could have, I don't know what would have happened, which states he would have, could have won. But I think he had a legitimate chance of winning some states on accident or, you know, like. Yeah. And so that's why I think it's probably as far-fetched as it seems to us. Because, again, you've had a Republican Democrat win since, I don't know, what, how's it, like 1930 or something? Or 1830? I mean, I don't yeah, since the Whigs. Or right. Something. I mean, it's been yeah. a long time. And so you just can't imagine anything different. But there are all kinds of things we can't imagine anything different until something different happens. And then you're like, well, of course. I mean, naturally, this was going to happen. You saw the erosion of the party, you know, preferences by pay, by voters and blah, blah, blah. And suddenly become sort of or maybe just blame, blame the Russians. But I essentially you know, that's <laughs> I, I don't think it's like impossible. Now, I don't know what the percentage chance would be. I think it's very low, but it's not it's not even like so close to zero that you can't see it. I think there's like some percentage chance because he has a voice that's realistic for a number on the left, which never was the mm-hmm. case before because of the impeachment. And here's a right. guy who's willing to go right. against his party. He's willing to just say what he thinks. And he actually has the most articulate defense of his position versus any, I mean, it's very partisan both ways, right? Otherwise there's not many people who are thinking about the impeachment process for, mm-hmm. at least, at least politicians. Uh, and right, so I think right. he has an opportunity from the left, much like Ron Paul had an opportunity to draw people from the left with the war issue back in 2007 and 2008. Uh, and then I think, you know, his credentials as far as his fiscal conservatism, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and and certain mm-hmm. libertarian positions are popular with people on the right pre-Trump. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think I think these are all, you know, again, it plays into the, the underdog story. And I mean, David beat Goliath, you know, the United States uh, beat uh, Great Britain uh, back, back in 1776 uh, to 83. So, you know, things can happen. Um, ragtag groups can, can, can move mountains. And, and you know, we, we do live in an era of unprecedented political realities. So, you know, let, let's say he got to that. I think it would be an incredible thing. And, and I would hope that, um, you know, people like us would be able to say that we, we, we knew him from the beginning if that was the case. But I think also in the same way, if he doesn't win and if, and if he did lose or, or even lost the congressional race, I think there's a large number of people who would be better because of that service and what he's done um, and look for him as an inspiration, someone who, who stood for the right thing. Um, you know, uh, 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 you know, he, he, he has at the end of this, he's going to he's going to do something pre unprecedented in so many different ways. He's either going to be a a uh, a a. a a member of Congress with integrity, which is so rare these days, or he's going to be the president of the United States. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, it's a win-win. And I always go back when I'm on other shows and talk to people about him, I say the, the one thing that struck me uh, is the consistency I, I met. So I sat down at a family re- reunion with Ron Paul and, oh, wow. and, uh, and I'll tell you that story sometime. But it, anyway, I, I sat down also with his nurse who had been his nurse since, who's also a sister-in-law. Uh, and she was the first person to contribute to him as a, when he ran for mm. Congress in the 70s. And she wrote, you know, the back of her, he wrote a thank you note back to her. And it's, he yeah. wrote down the, his principles, sound money, you know, not yeah. intervention, whatever. And it's, it, she said, it's, it, it has not changed or wavered in, you know, 30 years or whatever it was. And I no, feel no. like with Justin, it's very similar uh, in the sense that there's a consistency. And, and his goal even different than I think Ron Paul. I think Ron Paul had the same general uh, focus in in changing policy, but I don't. Th- the the one difference I would say is I think Justin has always looked at it a little differently, and that the office is yeah. doing the job, but it is convincing as many people as he can using that position uh, to convince them that those positions are the the right ones, the, those of liberty. And so I think that he, when he makes his calculus of what he's going to do, he bases it on likely to winning, but also the impact you're going to have. What's going to be a bigger impact being in Congress for another two years as an independent? Like you said, that's pretty good impact. Right. Or a campaign for presidency. Now, maybe he gets no media coverage. It's a total failure and he doesn't, you know, make any impact at all. And he'd been better off running for Congress. But I think those are the, I think those, that's the real calculation he's making because his main goal is not to be a congressman or to, you know, even be president or whatever. Right. I think it's to to push those ideas and you know policies certainly if you can, 
and that's his that's his overarching you know uh, drive and it's not so much the acclaim that may come with being an office or something like that which I know people don't believe me when I say that but I can tell you I mean that every indication I have in, in being with him and spending time with him is that's really his singular focus no and I think that's uh, that's totally true and I would testify to that um, because it, it fits in with what I said from the beginning I mean everyone who ever worked for him uh, in some capacity, except for that random woman in the town hall who <laughs> never worked in the office. That lady was a complete hack. The lady who stood up and said, I worked for you, blah, blah, blah. It's like you may have like done a door knock. Right, yeah, regulations. sure. What does that really mean? But like when it comes to people who work for him in the state house and in Congress and those deep relationships he's had with, with colleagues who, who, who developed those real relationships and who may disagree with him on issues but he stayed close, close friends with, I mean, they're all a testament to him. I mean, the, the, the people, you know, outside of, you know, you know, me, who's been a complete failure and complete hack and, and crony shill in Washington, right. D.C., yeah. swamp monster that I am, you know, there's so many people who are going on to do really great things. You know, you know, uh, his former legislative director has written multiple balanced budget amendments that have been incredible uh, examples of good legislating, ha- has then gone on to do great fiscal responsibility advocacy. Um, you know, people who, who've served the Senate in the Senate, the highest ranks, you know, worked at the FCC and, and worked in other places doing incredible things and, and being a good example to those around them. And, you know, you can tell in a moshite by the way that people talk about policy issues. Um, and, and they, and they, and they're much, they're not Machiavellian in the way they think about policy in the way you think about politics. They really do weigh things and measure things, uh, in the way that Justin taught us. And I think that's, you know, one of the reasons I would say I hope he stays in Washington is because I, I, I would hope for more generations of these type of, of, of staffers to, to come out of his of, of his team because, you know, um, we're a pretty incredible group. The Amash Alumni Association has some people doing some phenomenal <laughs> things. And so I would hope that there would be more of them. But, you know, if, if, if uh, the voters feel differently or he feels differently, you know, that's a loss uh, uh, for me and my, my plan to take over Washington, D.C. with a bunch of Amashites. But, you know. I got it. They're, they're, they're bigger fish in the uh, bigger fish. Friends. Yeah. And the DC metro area is pretty big. So I think, yes, it yeah. is. yes, it is. <laughs> but it is, I mean, it is funny when you meet, um, you know, a Rand Paul office staffer or a Ron Paul staffer, uh, Justin, you know, uh, 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 Thomas Massey or some of the other guys, even Jared Polis, his former staffers and some other, you know, Democrats who I love working with as well. Um, <clears throat> they you can tell their staff, you can tell them from, the crony, the, the, the crony, you know, establishment types. It's very funny how you can see them, you know, uh, a mile away. It, it, you can tell them apart from everyone else. It's a pretty neat thing. Yeah. Well, I actually had a bunch of other questions, but I, you know, I think we kind of need to wrap it up, but maybe we do this another time. Uh, and honestly, we're getting to, it's, it's mid January. So we're recording this is January 20th on the 31st yeah. of January, the fourth quarter fundraising has to be released by through the FEC mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think it's possible at that point we may get some more movement. Uh, there's, I think, yes. if you're going to run for Cong- or run for president, there are a lot of state conventions that are starting to come up in February and March. And so you probably have to, I mean, if he's going to make a decision, I would think it would happen within the next 30 days. Um, I, I don't know that, but I mean... If you try and walk into the convention in May at the last minute, you've, you've, um, you certainly hurt your chances nationally. Uh, but also, um, it you know, it makes it more challenging in, in the party itself to try and get capture the nomination. So I suspect we'll know relatively, relatively soon what in one way or the other what the plan is. We will. And um, I, I look forward to, I guess I'm going to check out your Patreon and uh, get more of these dispatches. But um, no, anytime, happy to have the conversation. And, and I'm sure we'll, we'll have a lot, you know, news one way or the other. Uh, in the coming weeks, I think your I think your analysis is spot on. Yeah, we'll have to uh, discuss what happens if it goes to the House because that'd be very interesting. Yes, Dis- discussion. Yes, All right, hey Nathan, thank you so much for being on the, the Paradox, or we'll call it the Amash uh, the Amash Files. Is that what you kind of like? There you go. I think <laughs> that sounds good. The Amash Files. Oh, this is good. This yeah, is cool. Good. Well, I mean, if something exciting happens, we may have to do this more regularly because as in, the ultimate DC insider. Uh, AKA the only one I know. Uh, I think <laughs> it's a real fun discussion for the next couple of months. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it either way. Um, good, good to talk to you and, uh, and thanks for ha- having me on and, and, and keep it yeah, up. Thanks so much.
Well, I hope you enjoyed that discussion. And if you want to get more of these dispatches, please be sure to visit the Patreon page at patreon.com slash theparadox, which is T-H-E-P-R-A-D-O-C-S. Depending on what happens in the future, the frequency of these could certainly increase. And so I really hope you enjoyed the discussion as much as I did. I just enjoy talking about this speculation and certainly reporting with the news. And at some point, hopefully there'll be a lot of news to keep track of of what Justin's been up to, either within this district or maybe if he decides to run for president, what's going on nationwide. As always, I'd like to finish the show with my son Andy, who is 14 the time he died on August 15th, 2018. He's singing his solo this Christmas before an extra time to his mother uh, with the Grand Rapids Choir of Men and Boys. And he then performed this for the Christmas concert that season. Miss you, Andy. Always will.